Well, it is good to be together. Man, what a lovely time of singing. Hey? Church online, this is a little bit better, huh? A little bit better, man. What a lovely, lovely time together. Uh, if I haven't met you yet, you don't know me. I mean, we're the plaid team. Mark, Claude, and I all wearing plaid today. Well done. Good stuff. I've got a few new shirts. I don't know if you guys have noticed. But, you know, <laughs> Come on, guys. Yeah, woo! I'm so proud. I haven't got enough. Normally, it's like, hey, a new shirt. It's like, yeah, I know, I know, I know. And the uh, fantastic news, it was my birthday this week. Woo! So there's a table at the back. Just leave your gifts on your way out. Just kidding. I had such a lovely day on Wednesday. The box nailed it, yeah. Come on. Someone's got to say it. Storm is, doesn't matter. We're all, we're all, our blood is green in this season. But I had a lovely birthday. I had a great time with friends and family. I got some of my buddies here. This, uh, these two over here are my, some of my best friends. You know, this year you would have been at Medridge for 30 years next year. Huh? That's a long time. They go to connect, but I just invited them to come along. If you want to know why I'm growing my beard, it's because of this ginger orca in the front here. He's the guy that I swim with, and then people are always like, oh, here's the swim Viking. And then I'm standing next to him, and they're like, and his little friend, you know, like... <laughs> So I was like, forget it, I'm growing my beard, I want to be a Viking. So, but we had a great time together this week with friends, and yeah, it was a really special week. So thank you, guys. Man, it's, it's the 12th week in 2 Corinthians, guys, 12th week, yay. This is the final week of our first sub-series. I mean, the last three months, we've been looking at the first seven chapters in the book of Corinthians. By the end of this year, we would have worked our way through the whole book. And this is by far the longest of the sub-series. And what Paul's doing in these final verses in chapter 7 is he's pulling together the threads of what he's been speaking about for those first six chapters and kind of bringing that part of the letter that he's written to this church in Corinth to an end. And it's an interesting one because the first six chapters are quite intense and he's writing some stuff, but Paul doesn't know how it's going to end. I mean, he's, he's, he's interacting with this church. There's relational problem. Things are going down. He's stepping in, but he doesn't know where this is going to go. Is it going to end well? Have you ever recommended a restaurant to someone or a movie? I've done that very badly. And then you say, oh, it'll be great, go. And then you start stressing, is, will it actually be nice? Will they like it? Will the food be up to scratch? Oh, we don't even like to recommend things anymore. Well, that's... Paul's feeling a little bit like that, except the stakes are much higher. Excuse the pun. See what I did there? <laughs> Dad jokes, huh? And then, um, so, so he's made recommendations to the church. He's given them advice. He's calling them. He's calling them to more. He's calling them to more in God, but he doesn't know if they're going to take it well. He doesn't know. He's unsure. How are things going to turn out? The guy's stressed. That's spoiler alert. Today we're going to see that it's a happy ending. We love happy endings, so yay. But I'm, I'm loving these verses today for two reasons in particular. The first one is that although we love a happy ending, what we're going to see today and what we've seen over the last 12 weeks is that the result was far from guaranteed, and the journey to this happy ending was tumultuous. It was painful. It was costly. And I think it's true as a people in our culture, we tend to be pain-averse, difficulty averse. We don't like to pay a cost in life for anything. We want things to go well. We want things to go smooth. 
But that's just not life. And that's not what we see in the scriptures. In the scriptures, we see that life is tumultuous, that life can be chaotic. It's not always bad. But we can expect this, but we can also expect in God a happy ending. But the second reason I'm loving it is because today's text touches on some truths that I really think that if we as a church family adopt, take in, make our own, that we're going to become a far more mature, compelling people. And that actually our ability to fulfill the mission that God has for us is just going to become so much more effective at that. So I'm excited to share with you for those reasons. If you wouldn't consider yourself a Christ follower, and maybe you're visiting church, new to church, hope you're feeling relaxed, hope you enjoyed the time. I know it's not normal for a bunch of people to get together and sing like we do, but man, we love God, and it's how we express how much He means to us. So I hope you feel welcome, hope you feel relaxed. My hope for you today is that you catch a glimpse of the goodness of God, and that you see that God actually loves you. He doesn't just love the world, He doesn't just love the people around you, who may look all good and clean and, and morally upright, they're not. I know a lot of these people. You're in good company. Are we gathering here in the name of Jesus through his kindness? So where am I going today? Four uh, movements that I'm going to look at in today's message, just so you know where I'm going. First, we're going to see Paul appeals for reconciliation with the church. Then we see that Titus, Paul's buddy, brings word of the severe letter. I'm going to explain all this. Then we're going to see the journey to repentance. How did this church get to the point of this happy ending? And then we're going to see that repentance brings encouragement and joy. So I'm going to pray for us, then I'm going to read the scripture. Let's pray. God, we are so grateful that you've gifted us with the word. These are your words to us. And they're not here just for us to study and understand. Your word is given to us to transform us. And so we pray that you do that, God, that you transform us. God, that we are changed. God, that we are made new, that you would let loose the power of the word in conjunction with the spirit in our hearts and our minds today. In Jesus' name, amen. Is this me? Hello? Can I, should I just keep going and see if it works? Otherwise, you can chuck me that thing. Okay. So Paul, in the chapter, we, we're in, what's wrong? Uh, oh, is it this? <laughs> Sign guys are like, we can only do so much. <laughs> but then I wouldn't feel masculine anymore, so I can't. If Ed shaves, I'll shave. Okay. So remember, we're in, last week we looked at chapter 6 and the verse, verse of 7. Today we're on 7, chapter 2. Now I want to remind you that the verse last week, if you open your Bible and you look at 2 Corinthians 6, verse 13, it says this, as a fair exchange, I speak to you as my children, open wide your hearts also. But from this verse, he goes into what's called the great digression where he starts to speak about, you know, don't be yoked with unbelievers, what does righteousness and wickedness have in common, Jesus and the devil. So he writes this whole little thing, and then he seems to go back to, the, to where he left off. So today, in a sense, we're picking up where we were two weeks ago. Because look how it starts. It says, uh, chapter 7, verse 2, this is like a whole lot of verses later. It says, make room for us in your hearts. So he's picking up his thoughts. We have wronged no one. 
This is Paul and his companions speaking to the church in Corinth, the believers. We have corrupted no one. We have exploited no one. I do not say this to condemn you. I have said before that you have such a place in our hearts that we would live or die with you. I've spoken to you with great frankness. I take great pride in you. I'm greatly encouraged in all our troubles. My joy knows no bounds. For when I came to Macedonia, we had no rest, but we were harassed at every turn. Conflicts on the outside, fears within. But God, who comforts the downcast, comfort us by the coming of Titus. I'm going to need to give us some context so we can remember what we're talking about here. Why was the coming of Titus such a big deal for Paul? Why did it encourage him so much? Well, we've got to remember that 2 Corinthians is actually the fourth letter that Paul's written to this church in Corinth. It's the fourth letter. So after he planted the church, he left Corinth after planting and establishing the church in Corinth. He went to Ephesus, and in Ephesus, he gets some news about the church in Corinth. Things aren't going so well. So he writes to them the first letter, which is just known as the previous letter. The previous letter. And then church, the church responds to Paul's letter, and they ask him a bunch of questions. How do we live out our faith? And in response to those questions, he writes 1 Corinthians. So when you read 1 Corinthians, you'll notice Paul is answering questions. He's hitting a lot of different topics because the church wants to find out what does it look like to follow Jesus in these areas. Then things get a bit complex after the second letter, 1 Corinthians. So what happens is Paul sends Timothy to Corinth to strengthen the church. And they had not received his letters well. Things were chaotic in Corinth. Corinth was the church that was in an absolute mess. So Paul, after sending Timothy, decides, I need to go myself. So Paul himself now goes to the church in Corinth, and this is what's known as the painful visit. It goes badly. It goes very badly. In fact, so badly that Paul leaves early. It's so painful for him. It's so painful for them that he decides it's better for me to actually leave maybe try again later. You see, what had happened is other voices had started speaking into the life of the church. They were leading people astray. They were impacting their hearts and their minds and, and taking them from a gospel that wasn't the gospel that Paul proclaimed to them, the gospel of truth that we know. There's these so-called super apostles, these, these influential people that had come into the church in Corinth, and, and they appealed to the Corinthians' idea of the good life. And, you know, and by comparison with their good lives, Paul's life was just a mess. It was so unappealing. In fact, it was disqualifying. He struggled. You know, he was in prison. He faced riots. He didn't always have what he needed. I mean, it just wasn't an appealing life. And for the Corinthians, they kind of just discarded Paul. So now he's got a problem. But instead of visiting them again, because he's scared, he's scared. If I go to these guys again, it's going to be horrible. So he decides to write them a letter instead, and it's called the severe letter, letter number three. The severe letter, and in this letter, he takes them on. He calls them on their sin. He calls them on their faithfulness to the gospel. He calls them to be reconciled with him. It's a severe letter. And Titus is the one who delivers that letter. So Titus takes the severe letter to the Corinthians. Now remember, now Paul's waiting to meet up with Timothy. There's no phone calls. There's no WhatsApp. You know, there's no Zoom. There's not even faxes back then. Paul's waiting to hear from Titus to find out how it went. Did they receive the letter well? So when, when we hear that Titus and Paul come together, this is where we are right now. So chapter 2, verse 12 to 13. Uh, this is, so lead, skip that one. 2 Corinthians 7, chapter 6. But God, who comforts the downcast, comforted us by the coming of Titus. It comforted because Titus is bringing word of how things went. 
and not only by his coming, but also by the comfort you had given him. He told us about your longing for me, your deep sorrow, your ardent concern for me, so that my joy was greater than ever. Joy. The severe letter had been well received. They had changed their ways. They had responded humbly and, and wanted to be transformed. So it's, an, it's a happy ending. But as I said, not necessarily a happy journey. Let's keep reading. Chapter 7, verse 8. Even if I caused you sorrow by my letter, he's talking about now the severe letter that he wrote to them, to spare them from another visit. I do not regret it. Though I did regret it, I see that my letter hurt you, but only for a little while. Yet now I am happy, not because you were made sorry, but because your sorrow led you to repentance. For you became sorrowful as God intended, and so were not harmed in any way by us. Godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to salvation and leaves no regret, but worldly sorrow brings death. See what this godly sorrow has produced in you, what earnestness, eagerness to clear yourselves, indignation, what alarm, what longing, what concern, what readiness to see justice done. At every point, you have proved yourselves to be innocent in this matter. So even though I wrote to you, it was neither on account of the one who did the wrong, nor on account of the injured party, but rather that before God, you could see for yourselves how devoted to us you are. So Paul's written to Corinthians after finding out that the church had responded well and that there was a level of restoration. And obviously, he's contending for further uh, reconciliation. But let's see now the, the positive impact. And then we'll, this is the end of our text today. So it says, 2 Corinthians 7, we're picking up verse 13. By all this, we are encouraged. Now he's writing, he's pumped. In addition to our own encouragement, we were especially delighted to see how happy Titus was because his spirit had been refreshed by all of you. I had boasted to him about you, and you have not embarrassed me. But just as everything we said to you was true, so our boasting about you to Titus has proved to be true as well. Good recommendation. And his obedience... Um, and his affection for you is all the greater when he remembers that you were all obedient, receiving him with fear and trembling. I am glad I can have complete confidence in you. What a lovely text and to wrap up our sub-series called God's Strength in Our Weakness. You can see there was weakness here. There's, there's a need for reconciliation. There's messiness. There's relational turmoil. Things are... <clears throat> but at the end, we see God's strength comes through. Well, this is God's word. May we surrender our lives to it. Okay, the first movement of the four, Paul's appeal for reconciliation. I'm not going to read the texts. Uh, you can see them. They're up there. I've asked them just to leave it up for a little while. So if you're watching online, you, you'll be spared looking at me for, for portions. So Paul says to these Corinthians, make space for us in your hearts. I mean, I preached about this last week, but it's a vivid picture. Paul's saying to them, guys, find some room. Move some things around. Get rid of some of the nastiness that's in your heart. Get rid of some of the gunk in your heart. Make some space. You need to clear out some stuff and make space for me in your hearts. You know, in, in, in seeking reconciliation with the church, Paul's not willing to settle for a truce. Okay, well, you go to the 9 meeting. I'm going to go to the 11 o'clock meeting. And then, you know, on the way past, we'll smile, high five, and, you know, that's it. That's like some kind of a weird truce, some kind of a thing that we do to not really sort things out, but just kind of be cordial. That's not what Paul wants. He wants genuine reconciliation with the church, with people, saying, make space in your hearts. You know, he's already explained to us last week that he's made space in his heart for them. We see that in all his actions. 
I mean, we saw earlier in the series, I, I said this quote, I think it was week one or f- f- four. We cannot hurt one another without also hurting the work of God in the world. Guys, when there's relational conflict in our lives amongst Christ followers, particularly in the same church community or even in different faith communities, and we're all part of God's Catholic, his, his worldwide church, when there's strife and relational difficulty between us, it hurts the mission of God. And you can see Paul knows that. That's why he's so committed to seeking reconciliation with these guys. Relational strife, it empties our tanks. It dominates our capacity. It distracts us from the bigger story of God. We get so caught up in this thing and we give so much emotion to it and we give so much time to it and we keep going back to it. In the meantime, the mission of God is waiting. That there's things we need to get on with, but actually the strife can, that's why Paul's contending. And then, and then he reminds them, guys, I've wronged no one. I've corrupted no one. I've exploited no one. These are obviously accusations that have come against him. And then I love this part. Paul makes it very clear to them. I'm not trying to condemn you. He's saying, I haven't done all this stuff to make you feel bad. I haven't said this stuff to condemn you, to, to pour you know, condemnation on you. I'm not judging you. He's saying, uh, he's not trying to take the moral high ground in, in seeking reconciliation. He's contending for relationship. That's his heart. That's his goal. He said, my life is tied to your life. I'll live with you. I'll die with you. I'll. He understands that relationships in the church we are intricately linked, intricately linked as brothers and sisters. That actually my maturity and my faith is linked to you. How well, how we are doing as a church impacts me, my maturity, how I'm doing with God. We, are, we live as a church family. That's how God's designed it. I love that we're getting to know Paul. I mean, we speak about Corinthians, we're getting to know God, but this guy wrote two-thirds of the New Testament, and you start to see a little bit about him. I mean, he's passionate about relationships. He's contending for these guys. I mean, look at his resilience and his perseverance. I mean, he's had lots of reasons. He's faced rejection, false accusations. He's been looked down on. He's been cast aside. He's been ignored by the church that he started. I mean, Paul's got very reasonable and legitimate reasons to walk away from these guys. Reasonable and legitimate reasons to walk away, but he doesn't. He understands that actually there's something in these relationships that God has for us that brings such resilience and perseverance in him. I hope as I'm speaking that that you're feeling something from God to say, man, I need to make sure that I'm reconciled with fellow Christ followers. I mean, especially, I think that's what he's talking about here. Of course, we seek reconciliation with all people, but especially Christ followers, especially people in your same local church. We need to be perseverant. We need to be resilient in finding. We don't try once and then say, oh, well, that's not what Paul did. Guys, a lot of us carry pain, relational pain, disappointments, hurts. There are reasonable and legitimate reasons for us to experience that, not taking away from that reasonable and legitimate reasons why we experience relational strife. But in the gospel, you find no good reason for unreconciled relationships. No matter how reasonable, no matter how legitimate we may feel in our broken relationships with others, the gospel makes reconciliation possible. We can be reconciled with God through the gospel. We can be reconciled with people. We need to get rid of some of the junk in our hearts some of the pain, some of the emotions, some of the self-focus 
make room in our hearts, chuck, get rid of some of that stuff so we can have some space for God and people again. And, and hey, whether you're on the side of, of hurt or the side of maybe even giving hurt, you know, Paul's appealing for their reconciliation, they're receiving this appeal. Wherever we find ourselves, we've got to be open to God and say, we desire um, reconciliation, no matter the reason. Okay, the second movement. Titus bring words of the severe letter. So Paul's pumped. He's downcast. So remember Paul, when he's writing this letter, he's been, he's been run out of Ephesus because there's a riot. The silversmith who was making idols, he stirred up the whole city. So Paul, when he says, I've got trouble on the outside, he's got real trouble on the outside. I mean, he's had to flee for his life. He's not welcome in Corinth. He's troubled about their spiritual health. He's worried about Timothy, Titus taking this long trip and how would they receive him? I mean, would they even hurt him or do something terrible to him? He's troubled about this letter and the, and the spiritual state. When he says, I've got fears without, uh, trouble without and fears within, I mean, Paul is living in all kinds of mayhem. And then we see this beautiful comfort, not only through his mate Titus, but also by hearing how they've taken good care of Titus. Man, good friendships. You know, sometimes you can just hang out with someone and it's just so encouraging, no matter the trouble you're going through. I hope you guys are building those kind of friendships with Christ followers where you can be encouraged just by being in a room with them, just by sharing with them, just by knowing that they're with you, that they're standing with you. My prayer is for all of us that we would experience that. It's just such a powerful thing. You see it here. But his joy is even greater than just being with his mates and knowing that his mates safe and he's had a successful trip. It's because they responded with affection to Paul. They were worried about him, how he's doing. And we're going to look at that in some more detail. But how cool is it to, to see the joy? He says, I'm greatly encouraged in all our troubles. My joy knows no bounds. I mean, isn't that life sometimes? Trouble and heartache and blah, blah, blah. And then it's like joy. He finds out that they've responded well. He says, my joy was greater than ever. You can see how much this means to Paul. You can see the impact of their positive response, how they've changed their minds, how they've made a change, how positive the impact is on him. I think it's true, if it's true that we hurt, each, we hurt the mission when we're hurting each other, I think when we're reconciled and we come together and we find peace in God, there's a joy, there's a peace, there's a forward movement that comes upon us. Don't we want that for our own lives? Okay, let's look at the third movement, the journey to repentance. The journey to repentance. If I caused you sorrow by my letter, I do not regret it, though I did regret it. I see that my letter hurt you, but only for a little while. I love Paul's vulnerability here. He's saying, I stepped out. I risked losing you completely through writing that letter. I mean, it's lovely to see Paul, this great apostle, the guy that wrote so much. He risked. He wasn't sure. He stepped out in faith, not knowing where things would go. He says, he admits, I did regret it. Actually, like after I pushed send and Timothy went off on the boat, I was like, oh. I've been too strong. Oh, I said the wrong thing. Oh, I don't know how they're going to take it. He, he, he's immediately regretting it. He's thinking, I might have just lost these guys. I might have just lost these guys. But then, of course, knowing their response, he doesn't regret it anymore. <laughs> he's like, oh, I'm glad I sent that. But it was a tumultuous journey. Knowing their response, he doesn't regret being candid with them about life, being candid with them about faith. Let's track with me here. There's, there's something very important that I want us to see as Christ followers, particularly within a local church family like this one. 
Paul's not celebrating the fact that, he, that he, they were hurt or sorrowful. That's not what excites him. He's not happy that, oh, you hurt me, I've hurt you. That's not what this is about. He's glad that their sorrow led them to repentance. He knows it could have gone another way. He says there's another kind of sorrow we can experience in life. Paul calls it a worldly sorrow, and it leads to death. It leads to death. Well, let's look at these two kinds of sorrows. You get this worldly sorrow. It's kind of a shallow remorse. Like we kind of feel bad about something. We're not totally at ease with it. It's kind of an unease. There's a bit of regret, you know, for being caught in a moment or, you know, in something that had happened in the past or the present, and we, we feel icky about it. It's not so much sorrow at sin, but it's, it's the consequence of sin. You know, we've been caught out here. This is just, oh, I wish I hadn't been in this moment. Worldly sorrow doesn't take us to God. In fact, it can leave us quite bitter. Oh, I got caught, and it's that person's fault, and... You know, now this is all happening and we can get caught up in this shallow sorrow, this self-centered sorrow that can be resentful, this self-pity. He says this kind of stuff, it brings death. Because we can experience sorrow that causes us to just get caught up. Then he says there's this godly sorrow that leads to repentance, salvation, and no regrets. See, godly sorrow draws us to God where we confess and forsake sin as we receive God's grace. There's a sorrow that we're broken that causes us to go to God and say, God, I need your forgiveness. Thank you that I can receive it. Thank you that my life with you isn't dependent on my performance, on my abilities, that I fall myself on your love. You love me because of Jesus. That's what godly sorrow takes us to God. And it brings us to repentance. That means having a change of heart, having a change of mind about something. It's soul work. So when we get to work in our souls, where we, we look beyond our actions, we look beyond a moment, we look beyond a certain circumstance, and we ask ourselves, what's happening in my mind? What's happening in my heart? Where are my affections for God? What am I casting my, my desires on? Why am I in these circumstances? And then we get to the point where I once believed this, now I believe that. Now we're talking about repentance. It's changing our mind. It's this lifelong journey where our hearts and our minds are aligned with God's word. There's a sorrow we can experience that where we fall to God, fall on our knees before God, and we say, God, I need your grace. Help me to think differently here. Help me to change some of my affections. And Paul's encouraged and joyful because their sorrow took them to God. Think about it. It's the difference between Judas and Peter. Both of them betrayed Jesus. Judas sold Jesus out to the religious powers of the day for some silver, Peter denied even knowing Jesus when he was arrested. I don't know that guy. I've seen you with him. No, no, no. Not someone else. It's the other guy with the beard. Look, look where Judas went. Matthew 27. When Judas, who had betrayed him, saw that Jesus was condemned, he was seized with remorse. This is a worldly sorrow. I've sinned, he said, for I've betrayed innocent blood. So Judas threw the money onto the temple and left. Then he went away and hanged himself. It's a worldly sorrow. It's... There's no understanding of God's grace. There's no going to, God's, to God. It's being so sorrowful and caught up in this moment of self-pity and self-condemnation where we, this thing just grinds on us that he sees no way out. Peter, on the other hand, finds himself restored. He repents. He comes to God, and we know that he's a massive pioneer in the emergence of the early church. Okay, let me just speak to us quickly. How does God want to shape us? Like, here we are. All these years later, following Jesus in church community, how does God want to shape us through this text? 
Well, I think it's true that culture is kind of teaching us and the pressure's on to kind of live your own life and let other people live their own life. You know, you do you, they do them, everyone gets on. I, I just, that is no way what God wants for our lives. That is completely other to God. It's completely other to following God. It's completely other to being part of God's family. As believers, we must be concerned about each other's lives. We must be concerned about our friends who are following Jesus and the state of their faith and the state of their relationships. We've got to care about each other. We've got to be willing to get involved in each other's lives. Are we candid with each other? Candid, candor, the quality of being open and honest, especially about things that are difficult or challenging or potentially embarrassing. Candor. When was the last time you were candid with a Christ-following friend and you were willing to speak to them about something that was potentially awkward, maybe would hurt them, maybe you would lose them? That's what we see Paul doing. We must be willing to contend for each other's faith, contend for each other's relationships. Our lives are bonded together as God's family. We can't think that people can do them and we can do us, and that's not impacting us. As a local church family, God's designed our lives to be together because how we're doing impacts how I'm doing. Believers, we must be committed to mutual discipling. I've got the little definition up there on the screen. Deliberately doing spiritual good to someone so that he or she would be more like Jesus. In our hearts as Christ followers, that's not the pastor's job. It's not your life group leader's job. That's not the band. This is every Christ follower must be committed to doing spiritual good to others so that he or she will be more like Jesus, especially our friends who are following Jesus. I think many of us are afraid to speak to other believers about matters of faith or sin because we don't want to hurt them. We don't want to hurt their feelings. We don't want to embarrass them. We don't want to seem self-righteous. We don't want to seem like we've got it all together. But look at Paul. He contended for them. He was willing to hurt. He was willing to have awkward moments. He was willing to step out in faith because his goal wasn't for them to always be tight. No, his goal was to be more like Jesus and to be faithful to God and faithful to the gospel. I remember Rigby, I've shared the story before. I remember sitting down with him back in the cafe in Rondebosch, and I was like, hey, Riggs, how's it going, buddy? He sat down, he was like, done. He said, you know, something I've noticed about you. You're filled with self-pity. He said, self-pity is the breeding ground for demons. You'll never follow God properly if you continue to live in self-pity. Have a nice day. <laughs> Will you buy me a coffee? Man, that was... Hmm, brutal. <laughs> that was candid. He was so right. I was that guy that was like, something would go wrong, and like, obviously it went wrong. Everything goes wrong for me. Like, I can't get a break. You know, like, it's, life's just uphill all the time. No, it's kind of funny, but man, this is serious. We can get caught up in self-pity where we're just convinced that everything's against us. We're so consumed by ourselves. We experience sorrow that doesn't take us to God. It takes us to pity. Man, I'm so grateful he had the courage to hurt me because he hurt me. When was the last time you did that? When was the last time I did that? Now, please hear me. I am not advocating that we all put on our moral Christian badges 
and become the moral police to each other. I see this in you, I see that in you. Please, let's not get silly about this. We're not, we're not trying to raise up the moral police. That's not what we're talking about here. We're talking about love. Paul loved these guys. He wasn't trying to condemn them. He wasn't trying to catch them. He was trying to reconcile with them. He was trying to cause them to be faithful to God. There's a, there's, there's a, a motivation of his heart that's beautiful that we've got to ask God to put in us. I'm not trying to embarrass them. I mean, we've got to ask God. We, we want, guys, we need to want the best for each other in following Jesus. We need to realize our lives are tied together. We need, we need to be willing to possibly hurt each other. And then you can see from verse 11, the impact. Now, I can't sometimes help but think of 1 Peter 4, 8. You can just pop that text up, Lauren. I wonder if, if what Peter writes about here, we've just seen Paul do. Above all, love each other deeply because love covers a multitude of sin. I can't help but think that actually something of what we've seen in Paul's life here is this. That actually it's love expressed in sometimes candor, sometimes difficulty, sometimes risk, sometimes hurt, sometimes awkwardness. But actually there's sin that gets overcome. There's, there's forgiveness, there's repentance, there's renewal, there's joy, there's encouragement. Love covers over a multitude of sin. Okay, our final movement and the happy ending. Repentance brings encouragement and joy. I mean, Paul is just gushing now. He's like that dad whose kid has just won gold, and he's like, oh, these guys, I'm encouraged, and Titus is encouraged, and you're encouraged, and I love you, and I've boasted about you. It's, like, it's almost like when a diamond emerges from the pressures of nature, and you get this beautiful thing. It's like Paul is emerging from the pressures of this intense relationship where there's so much turmoil and so much trouble, and what's come out of this is beautiful and precious like a diamond, and he just gushes. Warmth, joy, celebration. Church, when we say yes to Jesus about these things, it's good. It's good. When we surrender ourselves to Jesus, when we, when we fight for each other, when we go to war for each other, when we humbly receive, I mean, it's one thing being candid to someone. What about receiving that? Are we humble enough to receive that? Do we invite that? Do we, even have, do we have any friendship? Do people know they can talk to us? Do we say to them from time to time, hey, if you see something in my life, won't you please say something? Man, when we say yes to God, it's beautiful. Imagine for a moment that Paul hadn't loved himself enough for this. Mark, why don't you make your way up in the band? <laughs> Not just you. <laughs> Stay with me here. Just ignore those guys. Imagine for a moment that Paul hadn't loved these guys enough to speak to them candidly, and they hadn't gone to God with their sorrow. A church would have been led astray. The church in Corinth would have been an absolute mess as these other voices came in and just confused the gospel. The reputation of Jesus would have been damaged as this local church just imploded and did anything but reflect who God really is. Relationships would have been in tatters. So much relational pain. Titus would have been discouraged and, and maybe even you know, deeply distracted. Now, all the work that Titus did, he would have been so distracted. Paul would have, they would have been fighting for these relationships, contending for these relationships, fighting for the life of this church. How much other journeys and trips wouldn't have been possible because their energy and their focus was going in here. We're going to read about soon, even the, even the resources 
flowing from the church of Corinth to further the gospel would have been stopped. Guys might have said, hey, we're not actually giving you any more cash. Imagine Paul's missionary journeys had been cut short or hindered. It sounds horrible. Are we willing to say yes to God? Are we willing to persevere and be resilient in seeking reconciliation? Are we willing to speak candidly to each other, to contend for each other, not to embarrass, not to catch out, but to see us thrive in our love and relationship with Jesus? We need each other. Repentance brings reconciliation, encouragement, and joy. Let's want that as we follow Jesus together. Stand. I'm going to pray for us. We're going to, we're going to sing a song. Why don't you just close your eyes where you are? We don't want to be hearers of the word only, but doers also. And so I want to invite you to just reflect for a couple of moments. So you've heard God's word read and you've heard God's word expounded. What, what could it be that God's saying to you right now? I'm going to give you a moment just to reflect on that thing. There's a couple of things. Just to gain clarity for you. I'm going to give you 30 seconds to do that right now. them into our hearts in these next moments as, as we commit ourselves to just following you faithfully, saying, God, we don't want our hearts to be tickled. We want to be transformed. And so, God, we pray for your Spirit to empower us in our relationships. We pray for your Spirit, God, to empower us in having the courage and the boldness to love enough to speak truth in love. Not to embarrass, not to condemn, but to restore. God, we pray that you put in us a passion for each other, a love for each other, a desire for each other to thrive in following you, Jesus, for your glory, for your good, for the mission, for our good and our joy and our encouragement. God, that you would be glorified in us as you form and shape us into who you want us to be. That's who we want to be, God. Week by week, day by day, make us into the people you desire.